And you know, when someone says to you, get real, what they're really saying is, quit being fake or disingenuous, or they're saying, quit being silly and unreasonable. This morning, the Apostle John is going to give us one simple message, and the simple message is this, get real. We need to get real. And the first thing that John wants to challenge us on is getting real about God. So he writes this in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, these words. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. You know, if you know anything about the Apostle John's writings, he loves the metaphor of light and darkness. And Here he is saying that Jesus, God, is light. There is no darkness in him whatsoever. And what that means is is that God is good, and he is good. That means God is good, and he is good, even when you and I do not think so. If you are a believer, then God is truly good all the time, Not only is he good all the time, though, light means he is always right. He is, oh, have you ever thought about that? That means that God is always right in all he does. And some of you might be asking, well, why is this? Well, many years ago, there was a a well-known preacher, and he had a radio program that was across the country. It was entitled Through the Bible. And the preacher that I'm talking about is none other than Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Some of you might remember him. There he is. Dr. McGee actually was a uh, graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, one of the seminaries that I actually attended. And this guy had an incredible, just an incredible grasp of the Bible. He was a very no-nonsense guy, and he was able to put the cookies on the lower shelf. I mean, he just made the Bible real, and he made it come alive. And one day, Dr. McGee was talking about the omnipresence or the omnipotence of God. And he had this to say. Listen to what he said. He said, the omnipotence of God means he can do whatever he wants. And what he does, by the way, is always right. After all, it's his universe. He created it. Now, some of you out there in radio land may not like this fact. My advice to you is that you get your own universe. (laughs) Then you can do what you want, and you will always be right. No, I just love common sense. That is just common sense. Nothing like good old-fashioned logic. And the Bible's crystal clear on this point. This universe is Jesus' universe. Skip, put the picture up. I just want you to look at I mean, that's just our galaxy. This universe is Jesus' universe. And you say, well, why is that? Because it says this in Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. Skip, put it up. And remember that picture. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He's the front man of the Trinity. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. The Bible is clear on this one point. Jesus created this entire universe. It is his universe, and that means he can do whatever he wants, and whatever he does is absolutely right. Jesus is the absolute of the universe. Do you understand what that means? If he is the absolute, it means he determines what is right and wrong. Have you ever wondered where the notion of right and wrong comes from? 
It comes from the absolute. It comes from the creator. Right is right because Jesus says it's right. Wrong is wrong because Jesus says that it is wrong. And Jesus is pure light. He is pure goodness, and all he does is right. And you know, in John chapter 13, we see an interesting slice in the life of Jesus. It is actually his final night on planet Earth. He's deeply troubled and disturbed in his spirit because one of the 12 men that he spent three years pouring his life into, he knows is going to betray him. We all know that person's name, it's gone down in infamy. His name is Judas of Iscariot. You know, I find it interesting, no parent, no parent names their child Judas anymore. Well, let's pick up the story in John chapter 13. Now, Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved, that's John, was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him and asked, who is he talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it is the one to whom I give the bread. I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant, since Judas was their treasurer. Some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. Now watch this. So Judas left at once going out into the night or into the darkness. Can you believe that? I mean, three years, this guy is in the presence of light. He has seen the goodness of Jesus. He has seen all of his miracles. He's seen all of, of his healings. He has seen that everything that this guy has done is full of wisdom and is right. Yet in the end, he rejects the light. Why? You know why Judas rejected the light? Because the light, God didn't do what he wanted. That's the flat-out truth. Do you know that no one, there is no true atheist. The atheist has rejected the light. You know why they've rejected the light? Because they didn't like what God did. Can you believe that? The God of the universe isn't doing life my way. There may be some of you in here right now that are upset because God isn't doing it your way. That's a bad place to be. And it says that Judas walked out of the light into the darkness. And you know what happened in the darkness? Confusion reigned. Rebellion. Confusion, confusion leads to rebellion. And rebellion leads to doing stupid things, which leads to guilt. And in the end, Judas committed suicide. Judas of Iscariot committed suicide. If you reject the light, if I reject the light, and you choose darkness, I want you to know this morning, ultimately you will destroy your soul. Now watch what the Apostle John says in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1. Skip, can you put those up? So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on. Now watch this. We are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all guilt. Now, I want you to know these set of verses here, these are a gut check, a gut check to American Christianity. 
John is saying if you live in darkness, but yet you say, you know what? I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. But yet you're still living in darkness. And do you know what it means to live in darkness? It means to live in sin. You say, well, what is sin? Sin means that I am living life ostensibly on my own terms. We're not saying that you don't have some Christianese in your life. We're not even saying that you don't believe in some Christian principles. There are plenty of people who are living in darkness, but in fact think that they're a Christian because they believe some Christian things. They don't know the Bible hardly at all, but they still think that they are a Christian. And it's, it's troubling to me. It's how in the world can you know if you're living in light or darkness unless you know the light, the word of God? And so what's troubling here, here's the gut check to American Christianity. We have a lot of people that say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm in the light. I'm a follower of Jesus, but yet they're living their own way. They don't even hardly know what the scriptures say, but they're doing things their own way. And and listen to what John says. He says, you are a liar. This isn't me speaking. He says, you know, you are deceived and you are not living in the truth. And furthermore, he says this in verse 7. He said, you're disconnected from God. You're disconnected from God. You're disconnected from his life, and you're disconnected from his power. And the result is you only really know fear and shame and guilt. You're in darkness. It's just a horrible, horrible place to be. Now, in verse 8, in verse 8, John really exposes, he really exposes, you know, our lack of transparency. And the lack of transparency is about how we really are as people. So we see that the first thing to get real about is that God is good. Now he's going to show us and we're not in verse 8. Let's get put it up. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. You know, John tells us that the real problem here in each one of our lives is sin. I I don't know what you're struggling with this morning. You say, well, that's nuts, pastor. My real problem is I've got a lack of finances. Or my real problem is sitting next to me right now. Or my real problem, you know, is my job. You don't understand. And John says, no, no, your real problem My real problem is sin. Now, he's not talking about acts of sin. That's going to come in verse 10. What he's talking about, our real problem, is he's talking about the principle of sin that lives in each one of us, whether you're a believer or a non-believer. You know, things really haven't changed much in 2,000 years. 2,000 years ago, there were some false teachers running around called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics believed that the material world, all that you see, the physical world, was evil, but the immaterial world, such as our soul and our spirit, that was good. So what they postulated was is that man, because man is essentially soul, spirit, he is good, and sin is not his problem. So they're contradicting what John is saying here. Now fast forward 2,000 years later, and we got a guy you know, by, by the name of George Gallup Jr., And he does a study on the American public. He surveys over 1,000 Americans, and he asks, listen to this, he asks this question. Do you think people are basically good or evil? Here were the results. 61% of Americans said that people are basically good. 
14% of people said humans are evil, and 25% of the people said humans are both. They would make fine politicians, by the way. Now, as far as I'm concerned, Jesus settled the matter 2,000 years ago in Mark chapter 7. Skip, can you put up Mark chapter 7? And then he, that's Jesus, added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. So it's not outside what defiles you, it's inside what defiles you and me. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Other than that, we're wonderful human beings. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. That's in the red letters, ladies and gentlemen, red letters. That's not me. That is Jesus speaking. Please understand, I'm telling you, the problem comes from within. He paints a horrible picture of human beings. And Jesus tells us the reason why we think. Have you ever think wrong things? Say wrong things? Do wrong things is because we have dark hearts. At the core of every one of our beings, we have pride and we are committed to self. We are absolutely committed to ourselves and what's best for us. You know, a while back I read to you a report from the Minnesota Crime Commission. It's a secular agency. And I want to read that again, just a portion of the Minnesota Crime Commission's report on crime. Listen to what they said. Every baby starts life out as a little savage. You got a little savage in your hand right now? He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him these things and he sees with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He is dirty, he has no morals, no knowledge, and no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but the ones that are holding in your hand right now, are born delinquent. Wow, this is encouraging. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy each one, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, or a rapist. Now, that's what you call darkness. That is in every single child who comes into this world. You know, several weeks ago, Susan and I were in Pittsburgh, and we were celebrating little Georgie, our granddaughter's second birthday. Skip, can you put up the picture? There she is. She's got the, now, looks like a little angel there, right? Now, I love that boy there. That's my man. He just... She, she hadn't blown out the candles yet, and he just walks right up to that. He walks right up to that cake. He wants the icing. Boom! He just takes out a big chunk of it and just started eating that. God bless him. He's got a sin nature. <laughs> Going to grow up to be a thief, huh? You know, and, and so it, it was a wonderful birthday party. We were at Chuck E. Cheese, and when uh, Chucky came out, little Georgie started screaming and crying, but, you know. What can you do about that? But in any event, she, she gets all these presents, you know, and one of the presents that she got was a blue ball. 
She really liked this blue ball. So after the party's over, we gather all the thousand million gifts that she doesn't need. We put them into the car. We bring them home. We plop them onto the floor. And little Georgie begins to play with her toys. Now, little Georgie does have a little brother, seven-month-old William. And William, his eyes do work, and he sees that blue ball. And you know what he does? He, at seven months, he can scoot, and he slowly scoots over to the ball. And he finally reaches the ball, and he begins to play with it. And then little Georgie sees him. Now, what do you think little Georgie did? She did what any normal two-year-old did. Now! Now, William! Mine! Mine! And she goes over, seriously, she grabs the blue ball from William. She takes the blue ball, looks around, she finds the couch. She puts it on the couch so he can't reach it. That's darkness. That's what John is talking about. It's in every single one of us, and we can get a laugh out of it. But let me tell you, although Georgie may look like an angel on the outside, Inside is a little devil. Inside. See, we're we're not done. This is why the world is messed up. Inside is a devil that needs to be dealt with. You know, there's an old story about a frog and a scorpion. Skip, can you put the picture up? Story goes like this. One day there was a, a scorpion and he needed to get across the river to get to the other side. And so he got up to the riverbank, and he realized, you know, he couldn't cross on his own. He looked around, and he saw Mr. Frog. And he went over to Mr. Frog. He crawls over to Mr. Frog, and he says, Mr. Frog, will you please carry me over to the other side so that I can get there? So will you help me cross this river? The frog hesitates for a moment, and he said, Mr. Frog said, well, how do you, I know that you won't sting me and kill me. The scorpion replied, if I did that, we would both drown and we would both die. Mr. Frog considered what scorpion said for a moment. He thought, you know, that makes sense. And he told the scorpion to hop on him. And as as the frog began swimming across the river midway at the midway point, suddenly the scorpion stings him. And within seconds, he is paralyzed. And the frog cries out, why in the world, scorpion, did you sting me? Now we're both going to drown, and we're both going to die. And the scorpion replied, it's just my nature, frog, just my nature. And I want you to know that each one of us has a scorpion inside of us. Each one of us has a scorpion. Each one of us has a pride, and we have a selfishness. And if you're not a believer, that's all you have. You only have that old nature. You only have that scorpion within. You might have learned to control it a little bit, but the reality is at the center of your life is pride, is ego, is self, commitment to self. And that's why you're having trouble in your relationships and and, and, and trouble at your job. And that's why people cannot get along and whatnot because they have the scorpion and and control it you might, but we find it impossible. But I want to say this, if you're a believer, and we discussed this several weeks ago, then you not only have a scorpion, but you also have a new nature, it says. Remember, we looked at 1 Peter. It said, your new nature, you have a new nature like God. You have a holy nature. You have a nature that wants to love. You have the Holy Spirit to empower you. But you see, here's the key. The key is this is what the Christian life is all about. 
And sadly, hardly anybody talks about this. For example, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, or hourly, or minutely, and follow me. Do you know this verse is virtually just not preached on or spoken about? I could give you a whole lot of verses. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ living in me. Do you understand that the Christian life is about dealing with the scorpion. If you are truly born again, then you can control the scorpion. You can control your pride. You can control your arrogance. You can control your selfishness. You really can do it. It is possible to do it. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit is released in you, and he releases holiness, and he releases love. I mean, I can't tell you, this is why the American church, this is why you see virtually no victory. We are intended to be victorious. It's so tragic that we have all of these conferences, we have all of these information, but we have no power. We're still living defeated lives. I see people still addicted to strongholds and various addictions. I I see couples, they just can't get along. We're talking Christians now. And you don't understand If you're truly born again, you've got to control the scorpion. I have to control the scorpion. I can say no to greed. I can say no to lust. I can say no to selfishness. I can say no to all of those things. And the moment I do it, the Holy Spirit is released, and he begins to release love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So I just want you to understand You and I must control the scorpion nature. It is the essence of the Christian life. If you do not control the scorpion, you're going to live in darkness. You're going to live in selfishness. You're going to live in pride. You're going to live in defeat. And you're going to rationalize. You're going to try to rationalize your darkness and tell me that it's good. I got so many people who are rationalizing their darkness. And it is an absolute tragedy. Please understand, this is the Christian life. I don't care what they're saying. You go scan all of the sermons, and you will not see anybody tell you that you need to die. You need to die to the scorpion. You need to say no. Because why? Because it might anger you. It might make you feel bad. No, no, it's going to actually make you victorious and feel good because then the Holy Spirit's released in you. The Christian life is not difficult. It is is a supernatural life. You cannot live like Jesus. I cannot live like Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, we've got to move to the challenge. The challenge is actually found in 1 John 1, 9. It says this, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now you see, John is a realist. John knows we have the scorpion. He's talking to believers now. So John knows we have a scorpion. Okay, we have the scorpion nature, but we also have the new nature, which is holy and which wants to love. But he knows sometimes we're not going to kill it, right? Sometimes we're not going to kill that old nature. We're not going to kill that scorpion. And guess what happens when you don't kill the scorpion? Okay, we're not speaking in tongues. Now just give me, you know, an English answer. Yell it. Sin. You sin. Let me give you an example because you guys, whoo. Okay. Susan and I are in the car. I'm driving. Now, Susan is one of those nervous types. So we're on the highway, and we're driving along, 
And suddenly Susan would go, watch out, watch out. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? And I go, what, what? She goes, oh, I thought the car next to us was going to move over. Are you, now, now, now see, <laughs> this is a test for me. <laughs> now see, see, if the spirit of God is controlling me, I go, I understand, honey. Thank you for warning me. Now, if the Holy Spirit is not controlling, Frank, I said, have you seen your driving suits? i got to wear a crash helmet when you drive. (laughs) Quit being a backseat driver. I'll let you guess which one happens more often. Now I have sinned. Now, see, I have sinned. Because it says love is not easy. Do do not make light. Love is not easily angered. Love is patient. Love is kind. I just struck out. Now, you know what? See, now please listen because this is the beauty of Christianity. This is the great grace of Christianity. God says to me, Frank, I don't want you to live and wallow in your guilt and shame. I want you to confess your sin. No, no, I want you to confess your sin. You see, God wants me to own up to my sin. So he wants me to apologize. What that means, to confess means, Susan, what I did was wrong. He wants me, Lord, I know what your word said, and I violated the law of love. He wants Frank Ray to own it. See, he doesn't want to hear Frank say, you know, Susan, if you hadn't done that, you made me sin. You made me get angry. It's your fault. Ding, thanks for playing. No, all of Susan did is she revealed the scorpion within me that needs to be dealt with. Huh? Yes? Amen? It's, she didn't make me do anything. My problem, she only revealed my problem. And I need to confess it, and I need to ask the Holy Spirit to cut out. And guess what it says now? Here's the beautiful part. It says this. He is faithful, and he is just. He is faithful, and he is just to forgive Frank of his sin. Do you know what that means? See, we don't really know what forgiveness means, do we? As far as this east is from the west, Psalm 103, 12, so far, Frank, have I removed your sin from you. So if I were to die right at that moment, and stand before Jesus and say, Jesus, you know that, that thing I did with Susan? You go, I don't know what you're talking about. It's not that he forgets. It means that he's not going to bring it back up again. Wouldn't that be great as couples if we really forgave? How often do we say we forgive? Two arguments later, we throw it right back in our spouse's face. We didn't forgive. Forgive means you're committed not to bring it up again. You're going to pay either the emotional or financial price. And you're not bringing it up. You haven't forgiven until you have put it away. And I, now see, this is the God I serve. It's so wonderful because, man, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be a basket case if I didn't know my God was committed. So when I stand before Jesus, every time I confess, I'll never hear about it again. Can you believe that? I'll never hear. Not only that, but listen to what it said because we're running out of time. We got a meeting here. He said, it's gonna, he's going to cleanse me from my wickedness. Have you ever dr- driven your car when it's washed? 
You just washed it and cleaned it. Now, you can have a clunker. You ever had just a clunker? But you go and you vacuum that sucker out. You, you get it buffed down. You get it waxed. You get it washed. And you hop in the car. And it feels like you're driving a brand new car. Doesn't it? Is there just something about it? It's washed. It's clean. And see, when Frank confesses, I'm not only forgiven. It said he washes me clean. And I feel like new. There's, there's nothing like that. No one in the universe can do that for you. You're clean. You're whole. You're new. Now that's good news. That, ladies and gentlemen, now that's good news. Lord, I just thank you for your word this morning. That we would let it sink in. Oh, there's such power. In those few verses, you want us to be victorious. You want us to have a dynamic relationship with you and with those around us. And you've given us the ability to do it. But even when we fail, you've given us the ability to get back up through forgiveness and cleansing and to walk in freedom in a new. It's a new day, a new slate. I pray right now, that Satan would be bound, Holy Spirit, that you can move and chains would be broken. People would begin to reach out and like that woman to touch your robe and realize that there's forgiveness there. There's cleansing there. There's victory there. I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website, at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's BCC. D-E-L-M-A-R dot org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making him known.